Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, But to Connect. So, Vicki, did you like this episode? I did like this episode. It was it was aggravating, but I think it was supposed to be. So I'll give it 100% for aggravation. <laughs> I, I liked parts of it, and other parts of it were aggravating to the point where uh, it lost me. And I don't mean it lost me as in I was confused. I mean it lost me as in, oh, okay. I watched this episode right after we finished recording last week. Okay. And there is one line that stuck with me all week. And I just watched it again this morning just to be sure. So we'll get there. Uh, And what was the line? I know we're going to get there, but I'm curious. um, Some differences are too great. Sometimes we just have to accept the consequences of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. For lack of a better word, that was a move. Yeah, lots of moves in this. He was so manipulative, I can't even believe it. So, okay, let's jump into this. We start this episode where we left off at the last one. We have Zora, who's developed emotions, and we have the DMA, which is floating around the galaxy, causing havoc and we've got the species 10c which we know is from another galaxy but we're not entirely sure where but we have a path to follow to get there we open up with stamets and tal working on figuring out where species 10c comes from and zora figures it out and then refuses to give them the coordinates because she's worried about them yes so okay meanwhile (laughs) we've got Burnham, who has to go to an assembly of all of the species who are concerned and worried and involved in trying to stop the DMA, both Federation and non-Federation. But then we've got this whole problem where Zora is refusing to cough up the coordinates and Burnham's going to try to work on it. But instead, Dr. Kovic shows up and he's going to do it on yeah. order of Admiral Vance. Mm-hmm. And there's this wonderful scene between Captain Burnham and Dr. Kovitz where he says he's going to handle this. And she's like, I really can. And he's like, you know what? You have to go to the assembly and I know how to handle this. And he uses this Latin phrase, experto credite captain, which means trust the expert, which I thought was awesome because she's not the expert in everything. Exactly. exactly. And I, I loved him how he just sort of gently but firmly called her on it. Yeah. That was great. And so then the episode splits into these two basic subplots, mm-hmm. the working with Zora and the assembly subplot. And the assembly subplot has a sub subplot with Book and Tarka, which we'll get to. But we go back and forth between these two. So let's talk about the Zora subplot. I liked a lot of this subplot. Did you? I did. I did. Honestly, this is what saved the episode for me because I liked the exploration they did of what it means to be different, what it means to be alive, what it means to be sapient, and what it means to be a new life form, which is, you know, if we go back to some of the multiple earlier series of Star Trek, we are constantly finding 
situations where they're discovering new life forms. This one reminds me of evolution, next generation episode evolution, where Wesley accidentally creates sapient nanobots. Remember that, remember yes. that one? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they're working with her and trying to understand Sora's new found sense of self. And the line that you were talking about came from Stamets. Yes? No, I, the I line correctly. that I was talking about came from book. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you know, thank you for reminding that me. That was a Stamets. manipulation of epic proportions. Yeah. I, the reason I thought it came from Stamets is because Stamets was struggling with the difference of Zora. And Stamets was having full-blown B-movie... <laughs> fantasies about Zora going rogue, going full Skynet on them. Yes, but he was so funny. He was so funny. And I don't know if he was supposed to be funny, but he was hilarious when he first came in and asked for group hugs and (laughs) and the expression on his face and the signal to stop talking. Oh, he was just so funny. That just made the whole episode for me. He was so funny. And I also liked Kovitz's response to that, saying, listen, if we're going to figure out if she's AI or not, and if she's good or not, we need to discuss this in front of her. Right. The fastest way to find out what her motivation is, is to tell her, hey, we might shut you off. (laughs) Right. I guess they're prepared for full Skynet. I don't know. Funny, funny, funny. Anyway, so then we have the assembly. And I liked the assembly part until Tarka showed up. Right. So we've got the assembly and President Rulik is actually talking to General Ndoye of the United Earth Defense Force. And Earth has not yet joined the Federation, interestingly enough. But they have come together with Titan, which was good because remember that we had an episode, I don't remember the title of it, but we had an episode early on where they went to Earth and then they were attacked by the United Earth Defense Force and then Titan attacked them and it wasn't really Titan, it was humans who were desperate because they were starving and no one actually bothered to talk to each other. And now they're all together. So that was kind of a good thing to know. But General Lindoya was not like about to commit that Earth was going to rejoin the Federation. Right. And then the president says something about her mother being a native of Earth and having never seen her home planet. Right. Which is interesting. Right. So. I remember reading that she was human, Bajoran, and Cardassian. But they've never said that. So I don't know where I read that. I don't think they've oh, ever it- said that, have they? Well, yes, actually they did. Did they? In the, in the episode where they were trying to get Navarre back into the Federation, Burnham actually said something to her about her being a representative of what the Federation brings together, where her ancestry was a former enemies of the Bajorans and the Cardassians. She does say that there. Oh, okay. I'm almost certain of it. Okay. So, but I didn't know about the human part. And so I was kind of assuming maybe before Earth closed its borders, any number of people and species could have been born on Earth and called Earth home. So I don't know. Anyway, let's just get to it because there's a lot of talking, blah, 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 blah. And then Tarka shows up and then Tarka like beams into next to the president and starts mansplaining the assembly right. <laughs> or scientist splaining. Or yes. just a-hole splaining. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't decide which. I was like, why is the president even letting him do this? If he can do this, does that mean anybody can do it? Any number of these people who don't like anything can just jump up next to the president and say, oh, well, I'm going to talk now. Apparently, because Book did it, too. Yep. It was weird. And they just sat back and took it. You know, let this guy just start blah, 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 blah about, you know, in his really abrasive way he's like well we're just focusing on the wrong thing you know when we find the coordinates and we go into should we talk to them or should we destroy them that was the big debate should we talk to them or to destroy them and this is where the episode lost me because they framed this question as an or question we either do this or we do that 
And I couldn't understand why I didn't figure out, oh, we can do both. That never came up. It was never discussed. It was what I called, I wrote down, contrived conflict. Because of all those people there and all those minds, even the Vulcans couldn't think, well, you know what? Why don't we go try to contact them? And if we don't hear back in two weeks or hear a code word by a certain time, then we can go in and blow it up. That never, ever came up. And I was, you know, I just sat there for the rest of the episode going, why are they framing this as as it has to be one or the one or the other? Had the writers put something in there saying we can't do both because or you know something like that, mm-hmm. then it would have worked, but it didn't. It was just we have to do this or we have to do that. And I'm sitting in my seat going, no, you don't. Right. <laughs> well, my problem with the whole thing is they said the detonation could kill people on the other side of the wormhole. Yes. And Tarka calls it collateral damage. Yes. So Book, who pretends to be so concerned with this not happening to anyone else. Yes. But collateral damage on the other side of the wormhole is okay with him. Is okay with him. And he's supposed to be empathetic with all life forms. Yeah. So he's supposed to have essentially an, an evolved sense of the value of life in a way. I mean, if I can frame it that way. Yeah. So I'm done with him. Uh, it was contrived right. conflict. So Book falls on the side of Tarka, wants to blow things up, wants to make it go away, makes an impassioned speech about don't let Quajon happen to anybody else and don't wait until you lose everyone you love before you decide to act. But don't worry Deadly. about the people on the other side of the wormhole. Right. Even if you don't know what their motivation is, what their story is, anything. I mean, this could have been an accident. Exactly. And that's what they were saying. And this then causes a rift between Book and Michael because Michael's arguing for let's get information first. Let's find out what we're dealing with. So we have a contrived conflict there too because i felt that seemed so forced so forced so forced so forced and then we get this little exposition from tarka with book about how he had a friend and they were both captive by the emerald chain hence the scar on the back of his neck and they made this plan that they were going to leave the galaxy to be safe to which i'm thinking and what makes you think there's not dangers in another galaxy (laughs) well because his friend found a parallel universe where they didn't have the burn and all this stuff oh gosh i guess i missed that he said i guess i was so frustrated because he's such a jerk yeah it wasn't a another galaxy it was a parallel Okay. universe that his so friend they, right he needed this power to get to the parallel universe right so that was his whole deal he wants to destroy the dma so he can get to the power source at the center so he could use that to get to another galaxy and book doesn't find this incredibly selfish apparently not again with book with that speech he's basically breaking up with her as a tactic in a public speech yes and of course I believe that people can disagree and they don't always have to share the same beliefs. And I really wouldn't care if Book went off half-cocked with this guy that he barely knows and goes against what the Assembly decided for his purposes of revenge. I could forgive him for that. But this manipulation tactic shouldn't be forgiven. And it better not be because that was crap. Oh, but I think it will be. It better not be. I don't want to deal with another Deanna Troy on the Discovery. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) I think I know, but I want to hear it. I think we talked about this once and I'm not sure that episode was ever published because that was an in-between season episode but until I watched the Barzan wormhole one no it was uh I thought I had watched all the next generation movies and I realized I didn't so Ah. I watched them all and I never knew that Troy and Riker got married I was very upset with that because he walked all over her 
through that whole series. He did whatever he wanted. You know, the time she was pregnant with and the... And he was all jealous. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, number one, they're the talking... Father? Number one, they're talking about this in, in front of a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Number two, he's yelling at her, like, who's the father? I can't stand those two characters. <laughs> I know people aren't going to agree with me. I don't care. I cannot stand them. And I feel like she's just going to forgive him for doing this to her. And I'm tired of this relationship already. Okay. And I think maybe that was the point of all the drama before. You know how we kept saying, why are they doing whole scenes on Book and his grief? Lay the groundwork for this. Because I am tired of this relationship. They've got nowhere to go with this relationship now. You know, i got to tell you, there is absolutely nothing wrong to have a relationship be part of a character's support network in the background. Yes. I think... You know, if I could speak for you and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you might be tired of the relationship being in the foreground. Yes, because there's nothing else they can do. Hence the contrived conflict. Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, so we've pretty much covered the whole assembly storyline. They have the assembly. They take vote after listening to Book's impassioned speech and Tarka's impassioned speech. And then Burnham makes a speech about, you know, how important it is to be thoughtful about this and to not react out of fear and anger. And then they take a vote and Burnham wins. Right. And that's when Book does his little yes. I'm taking my ball and going home behavior. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Meanwhile, in the Zora storyline, there's some very interesting conversations. And, you know, Stamus talks about what he's afraid of, pulls out the full Skynet fear. And Zora says, okay, well, here's a, a device that if I start to go Skynet, you can destroy me. And he's like, well, that's cool. And everybody else is going, um, no. <laughs> oh, and I should add, both Gray and Tall arrive in this session, which Kovic is overseeing. So we've got Stamets and Culber and Saru acting as sort of essentially the head officer on Discovery at that time. Mm-hmm. And then Gray and Tall arrive because Gray says, I am a new life form as well. And I can provide insight into evaluating a new life form they're allowed to stay. So everyone else in the room besides Stamets is going, um, this is this is not okay. We don't just execute life forms because they become a threat. And and one of the things that I was hoping would be discussed that wasn't discussed was how do you define threat? Because other people's threats exactly. can be different from other people's threats. So then when it is a threat threat worthy enough to eliminate a life form. And would, that really wasn't ever discussed. And who would be in charge of making that decision? Exactly. So they kind of dismissed that and said, no, no, that's not going to work. And then there's a very interesting discussion and Stamets essentially saying, this is what I'm afraid of. And they get down to the threshold of what is her operating protocol? What is her primary command? And her primary command was to take care of Discovery's crew. Right. And they're like, really? We didn't tell you to do that. Where did you get that? And so then they go into her computer core and look at all her programming and discover that she's actually got a subconscious. 
Mm-hmm. And her subconscious is created out of all of her experiences from the sphere data and from the camaraderie and caring and friendship and love on Discovery. And she really does just want to take care of Discovery. That's her motivation. Yeah. That's all she cares about, which is very nice. And then this is when I think was the most brilliant moment. And I'm so glad they did this. Stamet says, okay, we, I love that you love us and we love you too, but included in love is trust. And if we're going to trust you, you need to trust us. Mm-hmm. And trusting us means giving us the coordinates right. so that we can make decisions as to how we're going to use this. And that was like the best moment because his logic was flawless. It was perfect. Yes. So she does. And that was great. So now they have the um, coordinates, which I'm really excited to go explore. I have to say that. I'm really excited to go see what's going on there. This is pure, awesome exploration science fiction stuff. Go figure out who these people are. What's, what's the story here? And then Stamets has another moment of brilliance. He comes back, and Kovitz is about done with his assessment as to what he's going to do. Kovitz said, well, what would you do if I said I was going to extract her from the ship? And he would say, I would tell you no. And he was like, okay. And then he said, but I have something else I want you to consider. And Kovitz was like, well, it's too late. I've already made my decision, which is interesting. It's like, you know, who is this guy that he essentially assumes he has all the information he needs and has made his decision regardless of what else Stamets has to say. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. There's such a level of certainty in this man that he has all he needs to conclude his analysis, and you believe him. Yeah. I believe him, and that's part I think is fascinating. I really enjoyed him as a character. And then Stamets says, well, here's what I'm going to say anyway, and he says to Zora, you know, one of the things that's really important in our Starfleet environment is that we have a chain of command, and we understand it, and we know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And he said, and you're not part of that chain of command, and you need to be part of that chain of command, so I think you should join Starfleet. Right. (laughs) And I thought, that is awesome, because it's true. That is part of the threat analysis. If this person... And that's essentially what Zora is as a person, right. is outside the chain of command and can decide when and if she obeys the captain's orders and when she doesn't obey the captain's orders. Then then, then that's the source of Stamets' fear. And that's going to be the source of a threat analysis. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, is that when a crew member violates orders, there are consequences. Did he say anything about consequences for her? Not that I recall. But one of the important things is they did actually disassemble the fail-safe device that would end her. They did, Which yes. was good. Yes. So Stamets did that, which was great. So Kovic said, well, you know what? That actually works with what I evaluated because I am calling her a person. And they offer her the ability to be in Starfleet. And she said yes. And Zora says she feels so marvelous to be seen. Being seen feels marvelous, she yes. said. And so now we have a resolution with Zora, which is great. And I liked it. I liked that. I liked almost every element of this, that particular storyline. I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I did too. And I could see where Stamets was coming from because, you know, yes, they had to deal with control. And I don't know about you, but when she first started giving herself a name and having emotions, that was kind of my first thought too. Interesting. Okay. That she was going to turn into control or something was going to happen. But I just watched the short trek because I wanted to make sure I remembered it. And still, during that short trek, which was a thousand years after this timeline, she's still holding her position because she was ordered to. She really took that... Took that to heart. Starfleet chain of command thing to heart, yep. Yeah. One of the things that happened when they looked at Zora's memories and her dreams and the things that created her primary focus was um, like video imagery of some of Discovery Crew's experiences. And one of them was going to trill when 
they first had at Dira, and they were trying to figure out their connection with the tall symbiote and how to help them regain the tall memories. And Gray got very excited about seeing Trill. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that Gray wanted to return to Trill. So one of the last scenes in this episode is Gray deciding to return to Trill, Adira deciding to return with him to help him get settled before returning to Discovery and going off on the Find the 10C mission. And their parents, I use in quotation marks, their parents, you know, Stamets and Culber, saying goodbye to them and wishing them luck and fun, etc., and telling them that they love them, which I thought was a really nice scene. Right. But I think this is the first time we've actually seen all four of them together. This is an example of a family unit, a support unit, like we were talking about before, mm-hmm. that is not really, this is a ba- this is background. It's not so forward the way Michael and Book's relationship is so forward. Right. Yes, all of these people are forward individually and their issues are forward individually, but the family unit piece the support of the family unit piece is just kind of in the background to support them. Right. Because like, like book and Michael, there's no place for this family unit piece to go right now. So it's just there. Yeah. They're together. They're, you know, content. It's all good. So it's just there, which I think it's fine. I think there's nothing wrong with having that sort of support element, that foundational element in the background as part of the storytelling, but not necessarily needing to be in front. So then we get to the last scene of the episode, which I have to say I did enjoy. I did enjoy this last scene. Book's on his ship, and what's his name shows up. What's his name again? Locking it out because I don't like him. Tarka. Tarka shows up, and he's got the next generation spore drive in his hand. Right. And he and Book are going to go destroy the DMA on their own. And so Book beams Grudge into Michael's quarters, and they activate their little mini spore drive, and Michael sees Grudge in her quarters, figures out what's going on, gets to the shuttle bay just as they leave the ship and jump away. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with their behavior, but I liked the scene. I thought, okay, this is good conflict good action to take us to the next episode yeah and that's it for did i miss anything was there anything else you wanted to talk about no you know i think moving forward discovery's mission is going to be to stop book at least at first i think the mission is going to be this is interesting we'll see which one of us right yeah. i think the mission is going to be to go out to make contact with species 10c and get them to remove the dna before it's destroyed but we'll see usually i don't watch the previews but i did notice that it looked like non is back oh interesting and i don't actually see is there a name for the next episode yet? I didn't see it. Now, I should let our listeners know that this episode essentially ends the first half of the season, and then there's going to be a mid-season break, and then the next episode doesn't air for about four weeks. Right. I don't recall seeing a name of that next episode. I didn't see a name either. All right. So anything else you want to talk about in this episode? No, I think I'm good. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this? <laughs> I did like it. It was aggravating, and I think it was supposed to be aggravating. So I'll give it a... Oh, wow. That's high praise for you. Well, I think it was supposed to be... I'm like right about a six and a half. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be as aggravating as it was. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Success. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Well, then we invite our listeners to join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly when we discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8, after we return from the mid-season break. Hope you join us then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. 
on Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.